the Ready Business Podcast on independent.ie. Let Vodafone Office Unlimited back up your business with unlimited high-speed fibre broadband. Hello, I'm Brian Purcell, and this is the Ready Business Podcast, the show for startups and SMEs looking for some inspiration, insights, and some great advice. On this week's show, Kira Donlan tells me how her medical devices company has gone global in just three years, and all from a difficult start when their original company name had ISIS in its title. It certainly didn't stop Kira in her tracks, though, and she tells me about Thea Healthcare and her future maker story. Kira, uh, your company specialises in medical devices for women. It's been a huge success in the three years since you set it up. But I guess your beginnings are anything but auspicious, really, considering you had to rebrand earlier from the outset. That's very true, yeah, Brian. So what happened was um, I I set up and I interviewed over 80 breast cancer survivors um, to get the inspiration for our product range. And it was through them that we created our post-operative range And I saw how strong they were, to be honest, when they were going through breast cancer and how much they wanted to be there for their families um, and for their friends in the future. So I wanted our branding to reflect female strength. So I decided to go for ISIS, um, which um, at, at the time... Um, at the time was a good idea, but yeah. it turned out to be not a good idea about six months later when the other ISIS appeared on the scene. So we were called ISIS Rose, and the Rose was after my paternal grandmother, um, Rose Donlan, who had a double mastectomy. So I was actually about to fly over to um, meet the House of Fraser lingerie buyers for the first time, and ISIS upped their game somewhat in terms of what they were, they and, were doing. And why so, ISIS, um, Kira? So Isis, um, she's a goddess, okay. so an Egyptian goddess. So that was the reasoning behind it. Um, I wanted a goddess name just to reflect female strength. Um, mm. But I, I chose the wrong one. Um, it doesn't happen very often that your your name gets, gets literally hijacked by a terrorist organization. But um, that is exactly what happened. So I had a weekend um, going over to see House of Fraser buyers. I've decided to change my branding. We're an Enterprise Ireland client as well, mm-hmm. HBSU. And um, they were actually very happy when I, when I told them that I was planning on, um, on moving away from the Isis Rose name. So I found Thea over a weekend. Um, she's another guy of Hindu descent um, and I much prefer it now actually and we're now Thaya Healthcare so yeah that was our little blip in terms of branding which cost us a fair bit of money as well because we had actually started down the road of production and branding with yeah. the Isis Rose yeah uh, well look it hasn't affected you ever since and uh, but why do you call the area of your business medical devices and, and not simply lingerie so that's an interesting question as well. Yeah. Um, so we started out as uh, Thay Lingerie. We were called Thay Lingerie before. I, I suppose the short answer is that we needed to reach the women um, while they were in a hospital environment, while they just straight after their operation. So they need to access us through a clinical environment. And um, the fashion industry is quite fickle as well. Um, and I wanted us to be seen for what we are, which is a medical garment that helps women feel better post-surgery. So I also wanted, always wanted us to be a supplier to national health boards. And we are with the NHS, we are an approved supplier with them. So I took the decision that I would become a medical device, class one non-sterile. 
um, and go through all of the hoops that you have to do to become a medical device. Um, I suppose to legitimize in a way what we're doing through the bamboo, the material that we use, um, and also to differentiate us from a fashion label, which we aren't. So we are very much medical and mm. we are very much there to help women um, straight after post-surgery. So, um, yeah, so that, that was why we decided to go down that road. And I would very much view the company as a medical device company as opposed to a lingerie company. And tell me, um, how does the bamboo come into it? Uh, just trying to figure out where, where, where it fits in. Sure, yeah. So what happened was when we were doing the research, um, a lot of the women were talking about being incredibly uncomfortable and itchy and scratchy mm. in, in the underwear that they were being given. And I had a look at what um, the materials that were being used in our competitor bras, and I was very surprised to see that the majority of them were actually synthetic. They weren't even using cotton, um, which I couldn't understand because I, we all know what polyester makes our skin feel like. So if you're wearing that 24 hours a day for six to eight weeks um, on your body as a bra post-surgery, it's not a nice experience. So I went looking for something that was better than cotton, and I came across bamboo in a natural fibers book. And it's, it, it's that it's not naturally antibacterial, highly breathable, highly absorbent, thermally regulating, and it's also sustainable. But again, I, wa I always wanted to sell into the health board. So that was always my aim from the very beginning. And I knew if I was to do that, I needed to have scientific evidence. So we went to UCD and in collaboration with UCD and the Irish Research Council, um, an oncology nurse did her research masters with us and as part of that we tested okay. our bamboo material mix um, and we, we grew the most two virulent bacteria found in breast wounds on our bamboo material and so basically looked at what happened and basically our, our material is 93 and 97% resistant to the growth of those two bacteria. Okay, oh, that, that, I, I never realised that, that you know fabric and, and, and materials like that can, can have such an effect. Um, but yeah. interestingly, though, Kira, you, you fell into this area almost by accident, really, didn't you? I mean, you you were in marketing for many years. I was, yeah. So yeah, so I'm a marketing and business graduate from Trinity, and actually, I was I was the first I was the first person in Ireland to do their their thesis on um, online communication and how it was. <laughs> how communication was going to be completely altered by the online world back in like 1999 when online wasn't very, um, it wasn't a very sexy area to mm. work in at all, actually. Um, I worked, I worked in online for 12 years um, and my last role was as, was a, the head of the online channel for Vodafone Ireland, um, which I suppose is like a mini business within Vodafone. So it was sales and care. So yes, you're right corporate world for a long time but I always knew I wanted my own business I just didn't know what that would be and then I had the opportunity to take a, a voluntary redundancy from Vodafone in 2009 um, and decided to go for it so I ended up opening a lingerie shop in Ranala where I'm from in Dublin called Cupcakes and it wasn't because I had really any particular grow towards having a lingerie shop but it was that I, I was told there was a gap within that market in Ranala and AIB actually supported us in 2010 um, for setting up the business with 50% actually of the setup costs which to me like kind of it showed their faith in me because 2010 yeah. I tell you the banks weren't lending money to anybody um, and actually it was a success from the outset and we specialised in maternity and nursing and that led to Thea because I had ladies coming into me who had had breast cancer and they were looking for something that they couldn't find on the market. So I just, I took it from there. That was where the idea came from. 
Yeah. Um, but were you scared at all that time? I and mean, you were in marketing for you know a good few years. Um, you saw yeah. this online space happening as well. But you know to leave that safe, yeah. stable, pensionable job. Yeah. Well, I've always been a risk taker. Have you? So, I mean, that is actually part and parcel of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'd say they'd all tell you that. You're definitely a risk taker be because I see, um, <laughs> I, I see you also trained as a pilot. <laughs> I did, yeah. So, yeah, I got a little bit bored in my mid-twenties working in um, the corporate world. I, I, I worked in a fair few financial institutions as part of my career. And um, I, I left one of them um, and decided to go and work as an operations manager in a flying school out in Weston for a year. And I pretty much got paid in flying lessons. Um, so it was a lean time for me, but I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I did go back to marketing, but I think I got a taste of what, I suppose, a non-traditional career could look like and that you didn't have to follow that corporate path and stay in that pensionable job, yeah. um, which I definitely don't have right now, that's for sure. <laughs> but definitely, I mean, to, to be up there in the sky, uh, you, you know, I mean, it, it does take a certain amount of cojones to get up there and do that. So uh, it, was, it, it, seems to be, it seems to be in you anyway, Kira. Um, yeah. But then go back to the lingerie shop. Uh, so basically, you had all these customers coming in who were post-operation, if you like, you know, after mastectomies and all that. But, you know, yeah. in order to get that right product, you know, the UCD uh, thing, when you when you got the project up and running there and you're looking at these ISO validations, you're looking at prototypes. Did all that take long? Is that was that very expensive? Yeah, well, well, yes, I suppose it was. I mean, I I've been I've been lucky in that we had support from the Irish Research Council. So. Claire, who did her, her research master's with us, she was partly funded by the Research Council, mm. which was a massive help to us, obviously, as a startup. Um, but it, it, we, like, we, we did five iterations of samples um, before we were happy with the range. And like I would say our first 18 months of selling was validation as well of the, mar of the market and of the products in the Irish market. But I wanted to make sure that we hit the nail on the head for our target audience. And unusually I went to the market and asked them what they wanted from the products before I actually developed the product which you I actually was very surprised to find out is not normal for for a lot of entrepreneurs um but to me getting all the information out from the customer and validating it based yeah, on their it seems logical now. Yeah. is is the way to do it so that was the way we did it so we from the from very early on we knew we had hit the nail on the head with our product and like signs on it like we've we've into the 90s in a highly satisfied um customer satisfaction rating from our customers so we did we we did it the right way um so the time that we spent doing the validation and the clinical study um was definitely worth it but like you're right a huge amount of the money in the early days was put into the medical device validation the ISO certification and doing all of the clinical studies, but they have to be done. And now yeah. at least and I have that, you know. And like, were you able to f fund yourself from, you know, your existing lingerie sales, we'll say, from you know, the ladies around Dublin, six and four and, and beyond maybe? <laughs> um, you know, or did you have to get backers on or did, you know, was, was that startup investment from AIB, that 52%, was that enough? Uh, no, so so when when I started Paya, um, yes, the money at the very beginning was myself, mm. but um, like to date, we've raised nearly a million. Okay. So um, 
So I haven't, I haven't, and I haven't had that in my back pocket, to be frank. So yes. I've had to, I've had to look elsewhere. So, as I said, we're HPSU, so um, we availed of the match funding from Enterprise Ireland in 2014. Um, so I have private investment as well um, from a, a few different um, sources, and we're actually looking now to scale into the US, and um, we're looking at our our Series A funding at the moment. Actually, we're in the process of doing that at the moment, which is the the larger the larger funding round that we're going for now. Yeah, is it difficult to get that, Kira? Is it difficult to make that persuasion? Uh, so, right, guys, you know this is a surefire thing. This is going to be a good bet. Um, well, actually, yes and no. I mean, if you if you have to have all of your your proof and you have to have your big customer names and you have to have your validation from your customers as well and from the scientific from from our point of view view we needed that from the scientific community. Um, what I am finding actually, which is quite interesting, is that healthcare obviously is is um, is is hot at the moment mm-hmm. in the VC world and so is oncology, but the funds are actually looking at uh, larger rounds than we're at. So they're looking at giving five to 20 million per company and we're looking for three million. So we're actually coming in under the mark, which interestingly narrows down the options that are available to me. I've, I've also, I don't know if you're aware of this, Brian, but only um, only 2% of the venture capitalist money in the world is given to women entrepreneurs. Um, no, so I didn't. That's wow, right. obviously... Pardon? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I find that incredible. Why is that, do you think? Yes. Yeah, so 2%. Um, why, why is that, Kira? Well, only, eight, only 8% of, of venture capitalists out there are 8% of partners in venture capital firms are women. And that's one of the reasons. Um, I think it's because you give to what you know. So, you know, it's kind of been scientifically proven that... Um, you see somebody who's like you and you think, oh, yeah, that person can do it. So if I'm walking into a, um, a room full of men, um, they, they're not looking at me as somebody who's like them. So mm. I think from from that point of view, women are, not at, a, are at a disadvantage at the moment trying to, to raise funds. So, so I'm so Kira, targeting just, females I'm, out there. So, well, yeah, when I, when, I, when I stick with you on that one, um, just say you do come across and you, you say you're targeting females for funding. When you come yeah. across male potential investors... Yeah. How would you think you'll amend a presentation to them? Or will you just be yourself and just get on with it and show them the business case? Like, is there a way to, that, that women should, you know, bob and weave in a presentation? You know, there's a certain way to make a presentation to certain people. Um, for, well, actually, I have lots of versions of, of my investor deck, but they're not, they're not based on gender. They're just based mm. on, um, on ge- geography, actually. Um, so no, I wouldn't change what I'm doing, but I would definitely be conscious of the fact that uh, males in the audience may not have the same connection to the products that I'm trying to develop that a woman might, fun- she might have inherently, because obviously if you've worn bras all your life, you have more of an insight <laughs> into, into what that might mean in a post-operative environment. So, um, but I mean, in saying that there are lots of there are lots of men out there who um, invest in, in female-funded companies, um, but it just depends on the type of investor. Okay. So 
it's not really the male-female split, but it's just the fact that it's more difficult for women just in general when they're looking at VC funding just because there's, yeah. they're, they're going in name, mainly selling to men, yeah. basically. It does seem, to be honest, it's straightforward to me. There is a huge case for this in the business sense as opposed to an emotional sense, if you could cut yourself off from the emotional side. I mean, there is so much cancer yeah. out there. There is so much misfortune, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it seems like a no-brainer. Half the population no, in the is, world are women, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're totally right. It is a massive market. And um, unfortunately, yes, cancer is, is mm. growing everywhere in the world, not um, not decreasing. And yeah, no, you're totally right. Like from a business point of view, our products, um, like we've proven for them to actually increase healing and they get you out of the health system faster than otherwise. So like at the end of the day, that's cost savings for the health system. Yeah. So it is, it's a no brainer whether you're a male or a female yeah. finder or investor. Kira, I love the stories about resilience and selling, you know, the sales process and, and selling to get into the likes of the House of Fraser and the NHS. How did you get yeah. in there? What was that like? Was it difficult? Is it easier to get in to places like that in England as opposed to here? Um, no, I mean, I, I had massive support from the local markets, from the Irish markets, mm. and I'm very grateful for that because it started us. Um, but yeah, I mean, like literally for any of the, the larger department stores um, or retailers, you're looking at like between 12 months to 18 months sales cycle um, to get in. And that I was not prepared for, to be honest, when yeah. I started. I didn't realize that it was such a long lead time and um, the nhs actually was much faster and um, it was a tendering process and um you had to tick a lot of boxes and actually one of the boxes we didn't tick was five years worth of financials we had 18 months worth of financials um, okay. which i told them and they accepted us anyway because they could see the innovative nature of the products and they wanted them to be available to their patients so it depends on the type of product you are what you're going to hit, what roadblocks you'll hit, I think. Okay. Order fulfillment and manufacturing. How'd you go about that? Because you're, 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 um, you're based between here and, and in France, aren't you? Yeah, so the, the, the company is here. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're based out and we're on still in, we're in Nova and UCD, so we're still on UCD's grounds. Um, so yeah, we manage, we have a warehouse and we manage direct orders um, from our office ourselves and then we have a warehouse for the larger orders. But everything is based here in Ireland and manufactured in China and then um, is distributed from here yeah. in Ireland. Tell us about the US, that's now on your horizon. Is that a tough market to crack and get in there? Like how do you start, where do you start? Does it take long? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the, the biggest thing with the U.S. market is you need to have um, the cash injection behind you um, okay. when you're going into that market. But uh, we actually, I've been over on a few recce tours already, and there's nothing comparable to our products in the U.S. market. So we do have a competitive advantage over there at the moment, and we also have IP protection for that market. So um, I'm very... I'm very optimistic about the market. Um, we're approaching it on a state-by-state -state basis because it um, is such a large animal, the US, so we, we're not going in in kind of a blanket um, yeah. approach. Um, and, but and, and Kira, do you go to healthcare providers? Do you go to hospitals? Or is it like medical distributors, medical wholesalers? Uh, you know, and it, is the money for marketing, uh, like, you, you know, if you're looking for the three million, where does that go? And how do you yeah, get into well, the US? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So we, we are targeting distributors. It is our main business model now, and that's what we're looking to target in the U.S. We have our first U.S. distributor who's in the plastics market because all of our stuff is directly applicable to plastic surgery as well as breast cancer. 
Um, so that is our approach over there to to find uh, small niche medical distributors in different yeah. areas um, that, yeah, that will help us reach. And you're right, the money for um, the money that we are raising is a mixture of um, production, marketing, setting up in the US because um, the likelihood is that we will set up as a subsidiary over there as well in the near future. Um, so, yeah. Is there similarities here to Michelle Moan and her story? Yeah, actually, yeah, it's funny you should say that, actually, because I've, um, yeah, I've been in contact with her office, okay. and yeah, she's, she's, um, she's fantastic, yes, exactly, and like Sarah Blakely in the States, who set up Spanx, so I suppose in my industry, they would kind of be my, my role models, yeah. um, to see what they have, uh, they have achieved, um, and, and, and it shows that it's absolutely possible, um, so it kind of the, there's no limits on you, but no, absolutely. The, a similar, maybe one day I'll be looked at like that. The Irish <laughs> Michelle Moe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever come like and she like her story is well documented. She had a lot of dark days and came close to war a few times financially, and you know managed to get yeah. funding at the correct you know just at the last minute and saved and had a disaster in the states at one stage. But um, had you any dark days that you thought, no, oh, it's not going to work. I'm in trouble here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, ro- it's a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah, it is a roller coaster. And um, yeah, I've had days like that. But I mean, my my goal has I, I've just always focused on the on the prize and um, wobbled a bit, but never fallen off the path, basically. Um, and I have had the situation where, you know, wages have had to be paid within a couple of days and I haven't had enough money in the bank. So I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Um, and I mean, it just shows you how far what the journey is like. Like I actually, I'm working full-time in Thea uh, four years yesterday. Um, and I came up with the idea six years ago. Um, and we've been, we've been trading three years. So like if, if it's a road you're going to go down, it's a long haul before yeah. you start seeing the fruits and it has to be something you're prepared for because it overtakes your whole entire life. So uh, understanding partner. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's very important. <laughs> yeah. You need a very supportive partner. Um, I, I have one small child, he's five. Um, and and yeah, Taya and Tim kind of arrived pretty much at the same time. <laughs> so um so it, it has. It's it's quite like it's um I mean I'm 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 very lucky that like we've agreed that my, my husband has his own business as well, actually. So it's kind of And, he, it's and an he's based in France, one. isn't he? Pardon? He's based in France. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so how do you juggle um, all that? He, he is French, which is um, which is one of the reasons why we decided to move back. But I spend an awful lot of time traveling anyway, and a lot of time here in the Irish office. So lots of juggling going on, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Future plans, then, Kira. What's happening in the future? You say next five years. Where are you going? United States, obviously. But what else is happening? We've got some great products um, in the pipeline for for other smaller kind of niche medical markets that could um, their symptoms could be served very well by medical garments as opposed to drugs. So that's where we're going. Um, very much keeping in the healthcare space and expanding our range for for other areas. Um, so watch this space. There's some really good yeah. stuff coming. So it sounds like you're stuck in a lot of R and D days there, and uh, that's obviously that's obviously burning money for you, but would be worthwhile. You, yeah. ha- you have some uh, goals there, do you? We do. We have some big goals. I don't really want to go yeah. into the specifics at the moment, but um, we do. And we've got some fantastic ideas um, and we're collaborating with some companies on on some ideas as well at the moment. So, I mean, just even in the area of wearable tech, like the stuff that we can do, we can be part of that new emerging world as well. 
um, which is really exciting to me in the medical space. So there's some really good stuff coming. So Thaya Healthcare is here to stay. Good stuff. And Kira, we always leave our listeners with uh, top three tips in getting on in a business and getting out there and thriving and striving and selling and making money. What are your top three tips that you've learned along the way that you'd give out to our listeners? Um, I have always remained very true to myself. So I am the same person that you will meet um, going out for a drink or the same person that you will meet when I'm doing a presentation to you. So I am me. And I think that is very important to stay true to yourself. Um, I would always have I would always have backup plan to D when you're looking to raise money. So I wouldn't look at even being reliant on A and B. I'd have up to plan D definitely in your back pocket. And I would make lots of um, room for IP. Think very clearly and long and hard about your IP and getting your customer validation at the very, very beginning and making sure you protect your assets for the future. It's extremely important. So Legal fees um, is something I underestimated. And I would say to anybody who's thinking of doing it, don't underestimate protecting yourself and how important it is. Great advice there and very straightforward, practical stuff there. Kira Donlan, uh, really enjoyed our chat. Um, continued success to you Thank over, you over the coming years and uh, very best of luck. And thanks for joining us. Thanks a million. That's it for this week's episode of the Ready Business Podcast. And my thanks to Kira Donlan of Thea Healthcare for joining me on the show. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and join me next time as we discover more inspiring future maker stories. Never miss an opportunity by managing all your calls through one unified solution. Vodafone One Net Business.